0: From that time on, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were cast in a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So here's the picture, here's what we see today. We see Jesus not only preaching his message but calling his first disciples. Today we'll talk about this message, this calling, and what it means to follow him. As followers of Christ as disciples, we have something to learn. We can look at how Jesus responded to how He called the disciples, what kind of expectations He set for them, and we can learn from that. Our main point today is that God's calling on your life will always be different, drastic, dangerous, and to make disciples. God's calling Will fulfill all these things different, drastic, dangerous, and a call to make disciples. That's what we'll look at today, those four points. So, first thing here is God's call on, on your life is different, different than any other calling out there. From that time on, Jesus began to preach repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is a quote that Jesus takes from John the Baptist in, in chapter 3, verse 2. He says the same thing. So simple, but yet so profound. Jesus' message was, began with this word repent. Why? Why repent? Why do these people, these good people, God-fearing people who have studied the Scriptures have been waiting for the Messiah, why must they repent? He says the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's come through Jesus, and it's right here. But if you want to enter that kingdom, you got to change. Because nobody can come into this kingdom if they have not repented, if they have not changed their ways. This is a different kind of calling he would say repent and a little later and next next week you're going to hear from chapter five as he begins the sermon on the mount he talks about coming in with a poor spirit being poor in spirit that's how you start that's where you enter not with not with pride but with a humble heart now why is this so different why is it different because there's nothing else in life that requires you to come this way Most of life is built on achievement, and that's our culture. We are an achievement culture. We like achievement, and we like to recognize that. If you are a a teenager and you want to be on a club, soccer team, or on a dance team, what do you do? You have to try out. You have to show that you are accomplished, that you can keep up with this team, that you can contribute, you can give something to this team. If you are applying for college, if you're writing those essays and writing that application, you are talking about the things that you have learned, what you have accomplished, and where you're going, and why your future is so bright, and why they should include you into their school. If you are looking for a job, you talk about your accomplishments. You think about what you've done and what you're good at. Or if you're trying to get a promotion, same thing, what you have accomplished the rewards that you get at work, you get that nice parking spot for the next month for being an employee of the quarter, you get that through accomplishment. Everything operates that way. But imagine if it were different. Imagine the person, and I'm not recommending this, college seniors, but on your application, instead of here's all the things that I've accomplished and here's what I've done and here's what I'm good at and here's you know what I've, what I've learned and people I've taught... To say, here's all the ways I've failed. Here's, here's what I've stole. Here's how I've lied. Here's how, who I've cheated, the people I've hurt, <laughs> right, <laughs> coming that way. If you, got a, if you got into that school, you're either genius because you really tricked them, or that is not the school you want to go to. But you know what I mean. The world doesn't work that way. But Jesus says, if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you go the opposite you change it up, you're going to come in weakness, not an accomplishment or strength. It's interesting that every once in a while you hear this, some people say, you know, all religions are really the same, right? Have you heard that? They're all the same, not doing, trying to get to the same place and do the same thing, but I don't know of another religion, and I, I know right now I'm lumping them all together and all that, but how many religions start with a place of weakness, Start with this place of humility. Start with repentance. Instead, so many of them say, well, come as you are and then do this and that. Gain knowledge. But you start with where you're at and you get better and get better. You follow the principles. You follow the lessons and you'll go further. You'll become more enlightened or whatever. So many things are built that way. Even... Uh, Buddha's final words is, I've heard it. He says, let the dharma and the discipline I've taught you be your teacher. He's saying, take the lessons I've given you and let those teach you and let, move you forward. But that's not the message that Jesus says. Jesus doesn't say, I've left you a good message. Just take this, add it to your life, and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say that. He says, you utterly have to come empty. You repent from everything. You come in weakness, and that's how you enter. You enter through your weakness. Very different. The, the, the Christians of the, those early centuries were kind of, the, kind of befuddled the people. They didn't know what to do with them. There's one account from some of the historians that say that the, the Christians were referred to in that day as atheists. Interesting, huh? Christians were considered atheists because they would ask them, where is your temple? And they'd say, we don't have a temple. They'd say, where do you sacrifice to your gods? And they'd say, well, Jesus is our sacrifice. He's already done the sacrifice. I don't need to bring a sacrifice. They'd say, where are your statues or your relics? And they'd say, well, Jesus is the one that we worship. Well, where is he? You can't see him. It's what are your laws? What are all your rules? And they'd say, well, we love God and we love each other. We love our neighbor. And the people of that day, they didn't know what to do with that. And they said, well, they obviously, they're not religious. They have nothing to show for that. So they're atheists. Kind of a different twist. But they were never considered the same as everybody else. God's calling is different. And it starts with a place of repentance. Not only is his calling a little bit different, but even the people that he calls are different. Who does he pick? Who are his very first disciples? They're fishermen. He is going to change the world with fishermen. Either very normal people or some might consider them very below average people. But as he's walking along the the Sea of Galilee, he sees the two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, they're fishing in the lake and he says, come and follow me. You, I want you, fishermen, blue-collared fishermen, guys that would get up early, get out into the lake fish. They'd come back. They'd bring their fish to the store. They'd sell it. They'd go back. They'd fix their nets, prepare their boats for the next day, go to bed smelling like fish. These are the people that he picks to change the world. He finds them on the fishing docks. Imagine with me. Imagine you're in Galilee, and you're sitting there, and you're having an evening dinner with Jesus, and He's saying, "You know, tomorrow I'm going to pick some disciples. I'm thinking of those guys right over there, the fishermen." What would your response be? Would you, "Yeah, that's a great idea." Or would you say something more like, "You know, before you make a move, I have some friends in Jerusalem. They're they're really top-notch guys. They're they're really smart and brilliant. They're going places." I mean, one was the the student body president in his high school. One guy, he, he lettered in four sports. This guy's great. The other one, prom king, right? These are the guys. Let me make a call over to them. So don't do anything. Wait for my call. Let's check with them first before we go with fishermen. Doesn't sound too crazy, does it? That's the way the world is let's go to the top, let's go to Jerusalem, let's go to the the biggest and most important colleges or jobs, let's find our people there. But Jesus says, no, I am going to go find the fishermen because my kingdom is not built on political might or conquest or social influence. It's built on repentance and on conversion and of changing hearts See, Rome built on political might as well as all those other kingdoms. The Dark Ages kind of formed on conquest. And today, how social influence is so important. But those are not the things that he builds on. But he builds on fishermen. Repentance. Being poor in spirit. This is the way you enter the kingdom of heaven through a relationship with Jesus, on His terms, coming empty. Not on what you've done or what you can do or on your potential even, but on what Jesus has already done for you. That's the way we start and that's the way we continue through our lives. Through our whole journey of faith, God's calling totally different than anything else in this world. So God's calling is different. God's calling on your life is also drastic. Drastic. Verse 20, He calls them, He calls these fishermen, and what does it say in verse 20? At once, they left their nets and followed Him. They left their nets. They left everything behind. Matthew wants to show this really quick emphasis that they were quick to respond to Jesus. They were quick to follow him in obedience. They left their family. They left their work. They left all these things behind. Now the family business, this fishing business, would be left in the hands of their brother or their dad or his employees. But they would go and follow him. They would become his disciples. And following was taken literally. The Dis- disciples, there was protocol to this. The disciples would be the ones that would literally follow the rabbi. Wherever he goes, they would go. When he gets up, they would get up. When he would stop, they would stop. When he talks, they would listen. In areas of life today, right now, it's like we don't really have a lot of those areas to identify with. It's kind of a little bit different. We kind of run by our own system and our own, kind of our own drum and all that but this is interesting. Um, in the military, it does kind of follow a little more of this protocol. When it's, uh, it's interesting. When you're in the hallway and you're kind of all together, you can be in any kind of order, but once you go outside, if there's a group of you. You kind of fall in line. You fall into an order, and really the order is simple. The, first, the person on the front right is what has the highest rank, Everybody else kind of follows in besides them, and there's some long history that goes back to the days when they would wear swords and march into battle. That's kind of the history, but it's really awkward when you kind of get outside, and you kind of like got to do this little shuffle and kind of get into the right place, and then we go, but the person in the front right, highest rank, they move the group. They go where that person goes, and they stop, and all that kind of stuff. They follow, But in life, we don't have this so much. But that day, they did. These disciples took this seriously. To be a disciple meant that they would leave everything behind, that this would be their priority, that they are going to learn everything they can. They're going to absorb. They're going to be sponges and learn so that when their time of being a disciple is over, they would move on and they would take this, take everything that he's taught them This was their purpose, to learn. But you see how drastic it is. They left everything. They didn't just say, um, all right, Jesus, I totally want to be a disciple, but let's, um, let's see how we can work this out so it's a win-win. Okay, if I, um, I can follow you Monday through Wednesday, but I'm going to need to be back, you know, at the Help My Dad on Thursday through the weekend. Okay, or um, they didn't say, well, tell you what, I get off at work at 3 o'clock, so I'll meet you at the cafe. How about 4 o'clock? Is that good? And you have the rest of my day. didn't try to squeeze him in. They didn't try to make him, you know, add him into their priorities or into their free time. They said, I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to leave my job. I'm going to make a drastic change, a drastic sacrifice to follow you. I love that line. It says, at once they, let, they left their nets. They let go of their nets. And what is their nets? I mean, they're literally, they're their fishing nets. They didn't pick up their fishing nets and just say, come on, Andrew, let's go. And if this thing doesn't work out, we can always come back to this. Let's keep this. They didn't hold on to that security. They let go. Let go of those things that they're holding on to, those things that provided for them, that they found their identity, that they found their security in. If you are following Jesus, well, probably he's not going to say, quit your job and, and leave, although I know some of you have had job changes because of that. God has led you in different fields. So it does happen. But mainly what he's looking at, I think, is what is your security? What is that thing that you're holding on to that if you let go, you're going to be insecure? Your schedule. I like my schedule. I like making my schedule. I like having Sunday mornings to sleep in and watch cowboy football or NASCAR or whatever. I, I don't want to go to church. It's convenient that there's TV can be recorded now or sometimes there's different options or a Saturday night church or Whatever. But some people, they, that's their, their schedule is their thing. For others, it's their paycheck. Why give to the church or give to missions and all of that? You know how expensive that's going to be? Giving a tithe, you know, giving to the poor or the needy or the missionaries, you know, sending kids to camp, like that's ridiculous. I don't have the money for that. I'm not going to do that. Maybe it's the priorities. No one's going to tell me what to do. My morals, my habits. Look, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's letting go of those things we hold on to and saying, It's not my will, it's yours. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take on your new priorities. I'm going to take on those habits that you want for me. I'm going to uh, get rid of my morals. I'm going to embrace yours. I'm going to embrace all of these things that come from you. It's a sacrifice. Following Jesus, hearing and obeying his calling is different and it's drastic. Furthermore, it's dangerous. Jesus' mission was not to relax at the Sea of Galilee resort, get into tan, eating seafood chowder. We never see that. I know he relaxed, he might have been tan, and probably enjoyed some seafood chowder, but that wasn't his mission. Nor was his mission to go up to the top of Mount Sinai by himself just to meditate and be alone, being private. That wasn't his mission. His mission wasn't even something as good as like starting a seminary or having a reading room where people would come and, and hear and learn and then go. He said his mission was to preach and to bring the good news. And that meant healing And if he's going to heal, he's going to go to the people that were sick. It says he went throughout Galilee. He preached in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news. Good so far. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're comfortable there. That's fine. But then the sick start coming. He starts having the sick come. I'm sure he goes out to the sick to be with them. Now James, John, Peter, Andrew, they're going to the places that they are uncomfortable with. They're going to the places that they've avoided most of their life. Comfortable in synagogue, comfortable in Sea of Galilee. But those streets, those dirty streets where the sick are, ah, that's not where I want to hang out. But this is where Jesus went. Their sick weren't in hospitals or real clean, bright rooms. They were in dark, dirty places. Here are some of the diseases, the ailments that Jesus, I'm sure, would have seen, would have experienced. These are the things the disciples would have been seeing face to face up front, things like boils and rashes and worms, broken bones or poorly set bones that didn't heal right, people with extra fingers and toes being humpbacked. There were blind people and people that were deaf Sure, there was cancer, although cancer is not written in the Bible, there were people that suffered with that. Tuberculosis, dysentery, epilepsy, gangrene, gout, leprosy. Leprosy was the most dreaded disease of the day. They avoided people with leprosy, and really until the last hundred years, uh, the treatment for leprosy was just putting people away. Mental, nervous disorders. Polio, and then one that was mentioned here, demonic possession. These are the things that the disciples had to come face to face with. And there were doctors in that day. We know that there was doctors. The Bible mentions doctors uh, over about the same about the same time, but over in Italy, there was some uh, surgical tools that were found. I put that up there. It's I'm sure very hard to see, but when I'm looking at that, saying. I do not want to go see one of those doctors those things are not sterilized i'll tell you that well those what doctors. i mean doctors were it was a profession they had training and all that there's lots they couldn't do but jesus comes and says i'm going to bring not only my message but i'm going to bring the good news the kingdom of heaven is here and it changes people and i'm changing them physically he brought healing to all these different people Notice the play on words, that as he is healing, as he's with all these people that are sick, that there's something that's spreading. There's something that's spreading around, and it's not a virus, it's not sickness, it's the news. The news of him spreads far and wide, names all these different cities, even Jerusalem, which is so sterile and so clean and so religious But news is going there. It's going far beyond, even to Gentiles. But all this comes because Jesus leads these these four disciples at this point into some dark places, some dangerous places, some uncomfortable places. He doesn't stay with the higher, upper, clean echelons of society, but goes down to where the world is broken. It's broken everywhere but we see it here, and it makes sense. If Jesus is coming to heal a broken world, he's gonna go to the places that are most clearly broken. So what's that mean for you if you're a follower? Does that mean you have to go to all these dark places and all that? It it means this, it means that you gotta be willing to go outside of your comfort zone. We like being comfortable. We like staying where we're familiar with people that we're familiar with, with people that look like us and act like us and talk like us, but Jesus doesn't promise that. He says he's going, I'm going to where the broken people are. Disciples, followers, do the same thing. Get out of your comfort zone. Expect that he will lead you to these uncomfortable places. But that's where the miracles are that's where the miracles happen. That's where Jesus does all these great miracles. That's the story. That's the news that spreads. God's calling is different, drastic, dangerous. But there's one more thing. God's calling us to make disciples. To make disciples. Here, he starts with four. He would eventually have more but he goes and he finds the people that he's looking for. This was countercultural. This is not the way that it would happen. In that day, the children would learn their, as they're growing up, they'd learn their Torah. They'd learn their Old Testament. They'd, they'd, they'd get all that ready. And when they're at the proper age, they would find a rabbi. They would go to the rabbi and said, I would like to follow you. And the rabbi would give them the test. This goes back to that achievement thing we were talking about earlier. If he could pass the test, if he had good chemistry, if the rabbi thought there was something in this person, he would bring them on as one of, their, one of his followers. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes and seeks the fishermen. He goes and seeks those who probably at some point did this. They grew up, they went to a rabbi, they were rejected, and then they went back to their family business and fished thinking they're probably not qualified. But Jesus says, I'm going to find you. Interesting though, there was one of that group who was a disciple, Andrew. Remember, Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. So what happened from when he was following John the Baptist to this point where he's in the boat... When we read from Matthew, doesn't really elaborate on it. John does, and John says that they did meet, that Jesus met these guys. And John the Baptist said, hey, disciples, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow Him. And we see in John that they got to know each other, and they had some interactions. But then, you know, it seemed like they were building a friendship, but the time wasn't ready. And so he went back to what he'd always been doing. He went back to fishing, and he grew his skills there and helped the family. But now Jesus reappears and says, now's the time. Game on. Are you ready? Follow me. And they do immediately. But he says, here's what's going to happen. You are good at catching fish, but I'm going to teach you a new skill new skill is catching people. You're going to catch people. I will make you fishers of men. That's the way I learned it growing up. I will make you fish for people. Um, if it's kind of a weird thought to you, you're kind of like, what does that mean? It was probably a weird thought to them too. What does this mean? I'm going to catch people. When I heard that growing up, I always thought of a fishing pole. I've never fished with a net. I fished with a fishing pole. In I always thought about that. On a fishing pole, you have the rod, you have line, and you have a hook, right? You have this gnarly hook with a barb on it, but you can't just throw a hook in the water and catch anything. That doesn't work. You have to trick the fish. You have to, like, not only trick it, you put something either alive, dead, or fake onto this hook. You kind of hide it, and then you seduce it. You trick it, and you kind of do these different tricks, you know, bringing it up, reeling it up a little bit, putting it down, put it on the bottom, looking like it's dead or whatever. You do these tricks so that the fish think, this is something good. This is healthy for me. This is easy. I'm going to eat it, and then they get caught. They attach. They get the hook, and they get violently pulled up. And as a young kid, this is what I thought evangelism was. Like, we're kind of out there with this bait trying to to get people to bite on it and if they bite on it we pull them up and we bring them into the kingdom and yes we've saved you but it it doesn't sit well some people have talked about evangelism as kind of this bait and switch kind of thing That it says you know we put this bait out there we tempt them or we try to lure them in we're very friendly we're nice to them we were their best friend but once they say, you know, I'm not really interested in that, we say, okay, fine, and then we move on to somebody else, and like, you know, you were just a project. Now I'll go on to another project, another person. If they don't receive, then I'll go on to another person until somebody finally receives, but I don't think that's a picture of evangelism. In fact, I don't think Jesus is really talking about evangelism here. I think he's talking about discipleship. I think the whole aspect of bringing people into the kingdom, not just the evangelism part, but the whole aspect. He says you're going to help people bring them from one kingdom into another. Because they weren't thinking fishing pole, they're thinking nets. And nets don't seduce or deceive people. They just gather people or gather fish and then bring them into this new world. And I know every analogy breaks down because now you're like, now they're dying and all that kind of stuff. But, but go with me here. The, the picture that he's showing them, he's like, I'm going to teach you. And not on your own ability and all that, but again, this comes later, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's going to gather people and you're going to be part of that. You're going to be pulling them from one world into Another from the underworld into the the light or the darkness into the light or the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. Gathering them so that they will live, so they'll have a new life have a future that's eternal. So I'm going to teach you how to do that. And so for us as disciples. It's not just simply about repentance, or it's not even just repentance and following, but as part of that, we, re- we repent. That's a starting place. We follow, and we learn, but now we go out, and we fish, and we live a compelling lifestyle. And, and here's the thing, too. Here's the other thing. We in America, we think individually. Don't think individually. Think corporately. Together. We're all about this. We, the way we live, the way we relate, the way we serve, the, our influence and in, in our, our, uh, just our example, all of that goes into showing people in this world that we're different. And together, showing them this new kingdom, this new way to live, this new eternal future. Inviting them to live in that. And so when one person receives Christ, it doesn't matter who brought them, whose friend they were, we all rejoice together. We're called to repent, to follow, to fish. Now, we do need to know the gospel. We do need to know that. Please don't ever think that, hey, the gospel, you know, sharing the gospel, that's only for the professionals or missionaries and pastors or whatever, or elders. Like, this is something we all need to know. and This is our homework. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a disciple, if you're not sure how to share the gospel, this is homework. This is one of those things we get to learn. How do we share that? How do we share just just putting the truth out there? That God created this world. It was created perfectly. It was created for a place of worship. But man sinned. Man sinned and rebelled against him. and, And we're stuck. We're stuck in that rebellion. How do we make things right with a holy, eternal God? Jesus came. And Jesus is the perfect sacrifice who paid for our sins. And then we repent and in that repentance, we're confessing our sins. We're, we're coming humbly. We're coming empty. We're giving Him our sins. He gives us His righteousness. Then we follow Him and we share. Creation, sin, stuck, Jesus, repentance, follow, share. You can say it different ways, but that's what we all got to get out. We got to be okay sharing that because this is the good news just share your story. Share how God has changed you and what He's doing in your life. And together, different stories from different people all come and become powerful understanding what Christ has done. If you are a Christian today, I I hope that this isn't a surprise. (laughs) It might be. As we look at the disciples and how he called them and saying, hey, this is going to be different than anything else. That you, This is a drastic change. We don't just tack this on and add it, but this is our new identity. That it's going to be taking us into difficult, dangerous, or uncomfortable places for the sake of making disciples. If that's new to you, we apologize. should have been told that ahead, that this is following Jesus is, 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 is amazing, but it's the, our highest priorities. We let go of the nets. We let go of everything to follow him. If you would not consider yourself a disciple, if you are not a follower of Christ, well, I, I hope this doesn't scare you, but that's it's not about what I am trying to convince you I want to share what Christ says, and then I'm asking and hoping and praying that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and is somehow just drawing you in. Not in that violent way like a, a fishing pole and all that, but this gentle pull, this gentle tug pulling on your hearts. And if you're feeling that, please respond. Don't come with your accomplishments and all the great things. That's hard to do but coming empty-handed saying, I've got nothing. I have some failures, and I have some things I'm not proud of. And God says, that's how I want you to come. Poor in heart, humble. Come to me, and I will give you rest. So let's wrap this up. We're not aiming for achievement, we're aiming for humility. Please put your worst foot forward. <laughs> okay. Not your best. Repent, follow and fish. And be ready to leave everything. Leave your nets, leave your father. Because that's what Christ did. He left his security. He left his father to save you, to bring you into a new relationship. A relationship that is exciting. It's full of adventure. It's full of joy. But it is all those things. It's different, drastic, dangerous. And we're going to make more disciples. So that's my message for you. That's what I want you to hear. Hear God speak. And um, if you hear God drawing you in, if you feel like you're that fish, and you're coming into a new world, I pray that you will embrace that. Embrace that and embrace the love that God has for you. He knows your name. He knows who you are. He's calling you. You're his child. He's calling you home. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. Lord, let us receive.